Welcome to the Run Run Live 4.0 podcast, where we plumb the daily adventure of endurance sports. Let us seize this precious moment together and squeeze the life from it like a golden lemon sent to us fresh today from the emissaries of the gods. Terribly happy guy Then he ate a moldy pumpkin pie Then he thought that he just couldn't die So Ned, he laughed so hard and made him Hello, my friends, and welcome to episode 4-465 of the Run Run Live podcast. Today we talk with Murray about a bunch of stuff. He's got a new book he's written on modern meditations, which uh, impresses me as one of those books that would be great for helping you with your morning routine. When you're doing your meditation, you need things to think about. And this weekend is the Chicago Marathon. And Monday is the Boston Marathon. There are a bunch of people who are running both, which is probably a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. This being the big collection of races that were postponed from the spring into the fall by COVID. And it looks like Chicago's going to be a little warm. So remember, you folks who are out there running, the old rule of thumb says you should run five seconds per mile slower for every five degrees over 70 degrees. And like most rules of thumb, most old rules of thumb in our community, this is probably more anecdotal than scientific, so your mileage may vary, as they say. I will be running, well, kind of running, my Boston virtual on Sunday. I'm going to run-walk it using the Galloway method and a 30-30 cadence, meaning 30 seconds of running, 30 seconds of walking. The knee seems to be responding well. Hopefully, I don't hurt it with this escapade. If it still feels good, maybe I can start ramping my training back up, but one thing at a time. In section one, I'll share what I have learned using this run-walk to work through my injured knee episode. In section two, I'm going to dust off an old piece about how to successfully implement change in your life. And it's still pretty warm up here in New England. The leaves haven't even turned. It's been so wet. The temps are only going down into the 50s at night. We're still getting a lot of rain, which means my garden still kicking along. Some odds and ends. I got one last Swiss chard plant that is providing me some salad. I've got some robust parsley as well. A couple of green tomatoes that we will have to see if they make it to the finish line before the frost, if they ripen up at all. I've got a lot of mint And I've been thinking about drying out some of this mint for winter use, but I don't know how to do that. I'll have to figure out how to do that. I do have a couple of Brussels sprout plants, but the cabbage worms are in them fairly badly, so I'm not sure if I'll ever get any actual Brussels sprouts. 
I've still got my zinnias going strong, and I've got a second crop of raspberries. I cut my sunflowers and was going to dry them. I attempted to. I started them, I put them in a box, but they got all moldy, and they had to be recycled. So no sunflowers for Chris. I ended up eating all the apples off my apple trees, and there were a lot. I was eating like six apples a day for two weeks, and I made a pie. I made a crisp. And towards the end, I was sharing these apples with yellow jackets. These are the local angry bees. They live in the ground. Very angry yellow jackets. And I never realized this, but they actually eat the ripe apples on the trees. They dig little channels into them. So you got to be careful picking them because you get a handful of yellow jackets. And finally, because this is the stuff you guys really care about. Ollie Wally, the killer collie, he graduated from... K-9 training with his certificate in basic dog stuff, which was great. And my wife, Yvonne, was able to join me for every session. So we got a consistency of training across the six sessions. He's not perfect, but he is a good 87% better. I can have him on the leash and he behaves. Uh, He waits patiently for the release command before going out the door He has his own mat. That is his place that we can put him on, and he'll stay on it. And I've been run walking with him on leash, and he's pretty good at that. He still likes to pull. You know, it's a a process. So it just goes to show you, my friends, even old dogs can learn new tricks. On with the show. It is when we learn to leave our comfort zone that we find ourselves communing with our inner strength. Well, hell has officially frozen over, and I'm here to talk about using run-walk training methodology to recover from my injury. When you are injured and can't or shouldn't run, there are other things you can do to maintain your fitness, even your running fitness, your racing fitness. I have biked many miles. I have lifted weights. I have done yoga and stretching. I have suffered through long, tedious bouts of pool running as a last-ditch effort to keep race fitness for an event. And I have even walked. But I've never run-walked, at least not on purpose. Okay, okay, that's not true. I have run-walked mountain races because it just doesn't make any sense to try to run up a 7-mile vertical at 18%. And I have run-walked in ultras because everyone, well, almost everyone, run-walks in ultras. It's part of the strategy. But I have not run-walked in a road racing or training event. So this is new to me. And why am I doing this? Well, point number one is that the run-walk allows me to start running again after this injury. I can actually do something. And because I have had a stress reaction thingy in my left knee that has been quite persistent, I'm really looking for a way to get started again without hurting myself. And that's the injury thing. I don't want to jump right back into running Run-walking will potentially allow me to ease back into the volume, hopefully without antagonizing the knee any further. And so far, so good. It's been working. All right, point number two. It's the only way I can complete any kind of longer distance right now. Because of the injury, I have not been able to train. I might be able to stumble through a really slow half marathon in the shape I'm in right now. But there's no way I could fake a full marathon and zero training without hurting myself. And there's a problem because I have to find a way to finish the Boston Marathon virtual over this weekend. 
I could just straight out walk it, but I would rather at least do some running. And based on the half marathon I run-walked a few weeks ago, I think I can do the distance without hurting myself. So, I have been practicing, running a 30-30 cadence with Ollie on short training runs over the last few weeks to see what I could learn. And why do you care? Well, because what I learn as a veteran runner is different than a beginner or a back-of-the-packer would learn. And what have I learned so far? Well, as mentioned above, it seems I can use run-walk to resume regular running activity without hurting my injured knee. And also, as mentioned above, it seems I can do longer distances, again, without hurting myself using run-walk. Now, I would assume that this is because up until six months ago, I was a fairly high-volume runner. So my assumption is that I still have this accumulated fitness that when I ratchet down the actual running portion of the run-walk, I have plenty left in the tank to go long. So my next learning is that while I can't go as fast as I could when I was running straight out, I can still average a reasonable pace. I mean, it's not awful. Doing a 30-30 ratio, I have been averaging, yeah, right around an 11-minute mile, whereas a straight walk might be more in the 17 minutes per mile, you know, if you're pushing it. Three miles an hour if you're really pushing it. So, and and that's like, you know, most people walk about 20 minutes a mile. So that's when you're strolling. On the trails, it's even more noticeable because trail paces are typically slower anyhow. The run-walk produces an average pace that isn't that far off a slow trail run pace. So based on that, if I can hold the effort, I might even squeak under a five-hour marathon, which seems reasonable for someone who hasn't run in six months, again, without hurting myself. And the next thing I've learned is that pace doesn't matter when you run-walk, really. If you're only running for 30 seconds and then walking for 30 seconds, you can run as hard as you want in those 30 seconds of running, within reason. I'm not saying sprinting, but I mean, you can stretch it out a little bit to a strong tempo. It's doable, and you're not going to hurt yourself. I'll have to play with it some more over some longer distances, but it's fun to play with the pace knowing that you got a walk break coming. And the point is... The point is that you are not holding that pace long enough to accumulate any debt. It doesn't catch up with you. And we'll have to see what happens in this marathon, but it hasn't caught up with me yet. And my next learning is shoes don't really matter either. I'm digging out some of those old shoes that I hated and never wore more than two or three times from the back of the closet, and it's okay for the run walk because the run walk is such low effort and you're giving yourself these walking breaks, you can do it in almost any old footwear. And distance doesn't matter as much either. I used to stress out about laying out courses that would be long enough to meet my run needs. But with the run-walk, since I'm going so much slower, the distance I need to fill up that time is much less. In that way, I'm still getting the time on my feet without the need for a ton of distance. And my sense is that the effort level is much less, so the training effect of these runs is going to be correspondingly less as well. That's 
That's what I think. Sort of like when you substitute riding your bike for running. So you're not getting that same fitness out the back end, but it's time on your feet. I'll have more to report after I finish my Boston Marathon uh, this weekend. And my next question is, what's next, right? If the knee stays healthy, how do I transition back to running from run-walk? Do I start just making the run intervals longer? Do I start mixing in run sessions without the walking? I don't know. We'll see. In summary, once you get over the weirdness of the run-walk, it is an enabler for injured runners trying to return. And it's kind of a whole new set of uh, data for you to play with as well. And now for today's featured interview. Give us the the 200 words on who you are, what you do, why we're talking. Yeah, Chris, I'm a South African living in South Korea. Very interested in long distance running. I've done plenty of marathons. Also interested in long distance walking. Uh, Interested in the pilgrimage as as just a means to find meaning, to explore personal growth. So that's taken me to, to Portugal and Spain on a number of occasions to walk the Camino. Ah. Um, yeah, so that's a big part of my life, trying to get back to Spain and Portugal for another Camino. My yeah, you remember that, that lady I interviewed about that, right? The lady with the barefoot shoes? Yeah. Okay, I didn't listen to that. Yeah. <laughs> okay, nice. Go ahead. Okay, and um, my background is actually in the financial sector. And way back, I was living in London, working in finance. And at that stage, I'd already been teaching meditation for a number of years and realizing that actually my passion lay in teaching. And so when I left London, I actually ended up in Central Africa, in Burundi and Rwanda to open up meditation centers there to help run the meditation centers. And then down to Namibia and then back to South Africa. And at that stage, I realized, okay, time to get out of finance. I love teaching. Took me back to university to study English education and onto Korea, where I've been living and teaching for 13 years. So you teach in English? Yeah, teaching English. So I'm not actively teaching meditation anymore, but I've really I feel I've fulfilled that role through my writing. I've recently written a book, Modern Meditations, 101 Ways to uh, Slow the Mind and Explore Spirit. So really that's, I feel like, through my writing, I'm kind of fulfilling that role as a meditation teacher, yeah, but still very involved in meditation and loving life. As I get older, life gets more exciting. So what's the intersection with all these, all these activities, Mari? I think enthusiasm for life. I like to, I like challenges. Um, Writing is a challenge for me. Running is a challenge for me, but I I feel like through, through challenges we grow. I, I feel like I want to keep growing. That's why with the Camino, it's, it means it's not the easiest walk in the world, but I always, yeah, I, li- I like to have something planned that's going to challenge me, that's going to stimulate growth, make me think out of the box, be creative to optimize my situation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The Camino de Santiago, right? That's right. Yeah. yeah. I'm very familiar with that. I, like I said, I interviewed the a lady who did that. I know uh, I have a couple of friends who have done it as well. And I, and I watched the movie. There was a movie. Uh, Yes, the way. <laughs> yeah, I watched the movie. So, yeah, it looks like fun. Well, I tell you, Chris, if you, you love the outdoor activities, you love endurance sports, you love meeting people, I'm sure. So, yeah, I can only but recommend it. <laughs> but the other hobby I have, which uh, probably nobody knows about, is history, right? So uh, yeah, I'm a big yeah. history buff as sure. well, uh, especially European history. Mm. So, oh, well, that's so right I, down I your alley. Do, uh, 
Yeah, see all that stuff down there. Talk to me about the running scene in Korea. And we're I'm assuming this is South Korea. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, haven't been up north yet. I don't think I'm going to get there. <laughs> but yeah, the running scene in Korea is fantastic. Of course, pre-go, pre, pre-COVID, that is. It's everything has stopped like the rest of the world. But but what's great is a few trail races have sprung up again. I, I did a trail race about a month ago. And there are a couple of races, road races on the calendar for November and December. So let's hold thumbs for that. But yeah, there's a fantastic running scene in Korea. It's really boomed. Since I came to Korea about 13 years ago, I've watched it grow. Still predominantly male-oriented, but the women are getting more and more into it, which is great. And I think Korea, being such a, a relatively small, densely populated country, has such a great choice of races every weekend. Of course, I'm talking pre-COVID. Literally a dozen races a weekend that you, you can pick and choose from. Um, road races, trail races, ultras, you name it. And um, yeah, the races are great. Well, well attended by people. The volunteers are generally middle school students who are extremely exuberant. They make it add to the fun. Of course, the representative race is the Seoul Marathon that, that happens in March. That's a fantastic race as well. Usually about 20,000 people attend there. Um, great vibe, takes you through some of the beautiful sights in Seoul. Very cold March, the tail end of winter, usually a couple of degrees above freezing. But it's a nice flat course, leads to some pretty fast times generally amongst the elites. So if anyone's around the area in March... Hopefully next year it happens. It hasn't happened for two years, but the Seoul Marathon, great, great race. Yeah. <laughs> so, so climate-wise, it's a little bit of a northern climate. Yeah, yeah, winter's dry and cold, very dry. You get a bit of bit of snowfall here and there, but the summers are tropical. We've got a monsoon season in summer, so lots of rain. Everything is extremely green and beautiful. Fantastic. Yeah. Korea, of course, is seventy percent mountains. And the right. mountains are pristine, like fully forested. So in summer, what I do is just get up into the mountains. It's a lot cooler in there um, because it is very tropical and humid in summer. But yeah, you every now and again, you're out there and you get a serious uh, rain downfall. And it's just beautiful in the summer. You, yeah. The paths turn, turn into streams within minutes and it's just the best feeling. Run past frogs and little snakes. and yeah, this, Actually, Korea has a surprisingly amount of, uh, surprising amount of nature. When I yeah. first came here, as a nature lover, I was a bit concerned. But being 70% mountains, you know, the cities are extremely dense and populated. But wherever you are, you see mountains on the horizon. So it's very easy to get into the mountains. Just outside yeah. our, our apartment, we've got a little stream. Run 4Ks along the stream, leads to the mountain, and there I'm on the trails. So, so thank goodness for that, you know. Yeah, I mean, that's what I think I've seen in the pictures, right, is a lot of the, and they're they're really, I don't know how I would describe sort of shaggy mountains. Mm. They're really impressive mountains. Mm. They're not like mm. mountains that, that you would have in Switzerland or, mm. or uh, where mm. I am. They're different. Yeah, and such a variety of trees. It's, it's insane. I mean, I, I cannot believe that anywhere in the country has a more dense per square meter coverage of trees than in Korea. It's just, it's insane. Yeah. I think if you're a tree lover, you know, come to Korea, man, you could, you could do a serious study. <laughs> so it's like a, a dense old growth forest when you're out there running. So you get underneath that canopy and you're basically protected by the, by the canopy from the elements. Exactly. And, and the thing is hiking is like a national sport here. So every mountain has a series of trails. 
So that's great. But the, the only thing, the mountains aren't higher. The highest mountain in Korea is 2,000 meters. So not okay. very, yeah, but they're very steep. So it's just a series of very steep mountains. Right. The, the trail yeah, races those... are pretty intense, yeah. A lot of ups and downs. And yeah, there's some of this, there's not that, that many runnable sections, but they push you, man, on those those trail races, yeah. <laughs> no, so I've, I've seen the some Koreans in the Boston Marathon when I run, when I used to run Boston and I, you know, they were very enthusiastic. They were like carrying flags and had their own cheering committees show up and cheer them on and stuff. So is that sort of part and parcel to the the running scene? Yeah, I think Koreans, you know, they've been through a rough history for, for a number of reasons from a number of different countries colonizing them and whatnot. And yeah, I think they're pretty proud. They're proud of their language, proud of their culture. And I think they... I guess they're, they're, if you compare them to China and Japan, they're wedged in the middle. They've kind of become yeah. a sort of forgotten nation. And, and yet they're economically, they were so well developed. So I still think they're looking for recognition in a way, in the, the yeah. way Japan and China has received that recognition. So yeah. Yeah, they're very proud, yeah, for sure. Proud nation. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> Good business down there. Samsung, giant company. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. A, lot, a lot happening. Yeah. So, so you're teaching English to these uh, these folks. How's how's that like? I mean, do they already know some English? Or are you taking them from scratch? Or what's yeah. the no, I mean, no, no. They, what's it like? Yeah, I mean, Koreans. Are, I always consider them professional students. You know, at at, at when they when they're in middle school, high school, they just study, study, study. It's all about the university entrance exam. But the problem is, so they study English, but they don't learn conversational English. It's studying for the test. Um, and so what I, I do, well, I, I teach business English, but I also teach something called practical English, which is a really, I see it as trying to bring English to life. So, yeah, we're still teaching grammar, vocabulary, but trying to getting them to use those grammar structures in conversation. So just bringing English to life. But, yeah, they've, they've got all the skills. They've, they've studied it all, but they haven't practiced it. <laughs> That's so do you, give them, do, you give them, do you give them stuff to read? Do you go, hey, here, go read this uh, John Kerouac book or no, you know, that no. sort of stuff? No, I tell you, they're so sick of reading. They've done yeah. too much reading. They, they just want to use what they've studied, I think. Yeah. So try and make yeah. the, keep, the, keep the course fairly light. Sure, they yeah. still have to write exams on it, but, but really try and get them to use what they've studied. Yeah, they've just yeah, they've then, studied too much. <laughs> then they're talking to you. They end up with that South African accent, so nobody will know where they're from. They'll say, yeah, are you well, Australian? Are you English? Where, think, where, where do you come from? I feel for these Korean students. That's the challenge. <laughs> they have Australian, American, Canadian, you name it, Irish, Scottish teachers. So they put it yeah. Decide which accent sort of, I guess, fits well with them. But yeah, it's it's tough for them. <laughs> That's funny. No, I was going to change gears and say, mm-hmm. uh, talk talk to me about your meditation practice and yeah. how that intersects with your your running. Yeah, well, I I kind of see meditation really as just a study of the self. Um, and how do we study the self? We spend time with ourselves. We spend time inside ourselves. And by inside, of course, you're spending inside time inside our minds, that, that great universe we all carry within us, that faculty that creates thoughts. So, yeah, what am I thinking? What am I creating in my mind? Okay? And then, of course, also spending time in the feeling center, in our, in our hearts, exploring different feelings, exploring positive feelings like peace, like love, like contentment. And so I feel like 
broadly, you could categorize medita- meditation into two categories. One is a more passive approach. One is a more active approach. And the passive approach really just observing what's happening inside me. And I often like to start that process by just asking, what am I feeling right now? And I like that question because it immediately takes me inside myself. What am I feeling right now? It brings me into the present and I slip within. And, you know, perhaps I feel, okay, I feel a hint of peace. You know, something positive will always emerge because that question switches us over into listening mode. We always produce it and that creates a kind of calmness, a kind of silence within. What am I feeling? Okay, I'm feeling a little bit of peace. And then we explore that peace further. We go deeper into it. So maybe, for example, uh, what does the peace feel like? Go deeper into that feeling. Uh, what, what other positive qualities are emerging alongside the peace? Maybe I'm feeling contentment or stability. So really just going deeper into that. And then the more active approach is, of course, uh, creating the atmosphere we want. And we can do that, for example, through creating positive affirmations, just a little sentence. Yes. Uh, for example, I'm a being of peace. So simple. Say it to ourselves, but say it, of course, with conviction that I am a being of peace. And then wait again, listening, listening for the response, feeling that peace. For me, meditation, really, what's fundamental to it is having the experience, not just having thoughts, but letting the thoughts lead to to experiences. And that, of course, involves patience, too. We need to be patient in our meditation. So, yeah, I'm a being of peace. Listen for that peace and then go deeper. And I think that's why I I sometimes see meditation as just a loving conversation with yourself. So, yeah, I'm a being of peace and then go deeper into that. Maybe say, okay, I feel that peace is a warm fire emerging at the center of my heart. Go into that feeling, then go deeper. So, yeah, I think meditation, yeah, we can be very passive, just observe what's happening within, but then sometimes a little bit more active and actually create what it is we want, yeah. Well, I, I think you have to learn to observe first before you can be active um, mm-hmm. because most people, you know, they, they have their monkey minds or just mm-hmm. going all over the place. Mm-hmm. So it's really hard to tease out who that self is that is observing because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. you're, you're thinking all the time, right? And you're, you've got anxiety or whatever, right? You mm-hmm. can't settle down. It takes a lot of practice to get there. Um, sure. I certainly don't have it mastered, but I, you know, I, I can see that, but I, you know, that resonates with me is to say, who am I? Well, you're the one who's observing mm. very simple. Right. Mm. And you can start from there and, and, and instead of being involved in all that turmoil, just mm. observe it. And then once you get good at that, you can say, okay, how do I redirect mm. these thoughts to something I want to get mm. or something I want to do something I want to feel. Sure. Yeah, I think many of us, we think meditation, it involves silencing the mind. But the way I meditate, meditate is still using my mind, creating thoughts, but just slowing those thoughts down. So you have a thought, okay, what am I feeling right now? Okay, I'm feeling peace. Where can I feel that peace most vividly in my body, for example? So following it in, inward on a journey. So really creating more thoughts, because like you say, our monkey mind wants to create thoughts. So sure, create thoughts but try and keep them focused on a specific path. Yeah. Yeah. And I like the connection, you know, I'll get your opinion on this is the connection between the body and the mind, right? Mm-hmm. So when you sit down to meditate, you can either do a body scan, or you can say, you know, mm-hmm. feel, feel your body in the chair, mm-hmm. right? Feel, feel your feet on the ground, you know, 
and and connect to the body and that helps relax into the mind mm. so there's there's a connection there somewhere mm. and i think yeah, and that's I feel where it ties back into endurance sports as well right where you it's that same physical connection to the mind. Sure. I think meditation has taught me to listen to my body. And I think that's a mistake sometimes we make as meditators. We want to dive straight into an experience instead of first just relaxing your body, like you say, through progressive muscle relaxation uh, or a few deep breaths. And we can see it so clearly. Just relax your body. Maybe take a few deep centering breaths and immediately you feel the impact it it has on your mind, how your mind opens up, how your heart opens up too. It's that, like you said, that connection between mind and body is so visible. Just relax your body and see what impact it has on your mind. You feel like you suddenly open up and you become more more receptive to, to to an affirmation, for example. You say an affirmation when your body is feeling a little bit tense, probably won't have an impact but just relax your body and you can just slide into an experience so much more easily yeah i was doing pretty well with my practice over the last couple Mm. weeks but this week i've gotten slammed because i get all this uh overhang at work right stuff Mm. that i'm waking up to Mm. and it's and it it's really hard for me to partition that put it aside to be able to be mindful Mm. it's easier just to dive back into that thing that's hanging out there and Mm. chewing up all of your all of your attention you know yeah like you said it's so easy to get caught up in life so what i like to try and do is build in little reminders during my day whether it be my chime on my watch on the hour just going beep beep and then just know that that's just a little reminder just to slip within and i think the more often we can just just slip within just feel that little tinge of peace even peace starts becoming a habit feeling that peace whether every time you go to the bathroom, okay, let me just try and slip with him. What am I feeling right now? Okay, let me just connect with a little sliver of peace. And the more often we do that, like everything in life, the more <laughs> peace becomes a habit. So I think that's what I try and build through my meditation practice. Do it as often as possibly, as consistently, even if it's just for five minutes, and yeah. build up habits of peace, of contentment, of feeling abundant. Same way I'm trying to train my dog. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit here, a little bit there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think little bits are bigger. A lot of little bits are bigger than one big bit. And I'm laughing because you know training myself is probably a lot easier, <laughs> probably harder than probably the same as training my dog. Yeah, we um, need- so that's good. Good, but I mean, do you combine this practice with your with your trail running? Yeah, well, I feel like the, my, my my heart is actually in trail running. I love road races just because it is such a clinical assessment of where you're at, your fitness, your mental levels. It's such a clean barometer of where your fitness is at. But trail running, when you get those animal instincts, you are on the trail, your reactions are sharp. But I, of course, when you're running, it's difficult to, you know, and your body nags, it tugs at your attention. Come on, slow down. I'm feeling pain. I'm tired. And I like to think of meditation as where we are trying to regain mastery over our body, over our thoughts. And so while I'm running, Try from the beginning, try and create positive thoughts, affirmations, step step up to the affirmation. I'm strong. I can do this. Like we all know, there are lots of affirmations in running. But really, while I'm running, just try and slip back within to my mind and watch my body as it's moving. And I think that that seems to relieve a lot of the pain and the tension in our bodies and just really relax my body as I'm running. 
but it's not easy. And then your your body, of course, tugs for your attention again, return to my mind. And we know while we're running, sometimes we slip into like, we think about the weekend or we think about a beautiful holiday and 10 minutes have passed and we felt no pain, no tiredness. Right. That's the power of the mind. If we can just consciously get our mind on a different path, especially if it's a positive one, running becomes easy because we're not even aware that we're running. So that's yeah, a good way to get a, through a heavy trading cycle. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think a lot of the, you know, if you're if you're training at a high level, you know, you have a lot of those inc- incidents where your body starts fighting back and, mm-hmm. and it's really your mind. It's not your body, right? Mm-hmm. Your body will do pretty much anything you tell it to do. But, you know, if you're out and it starts getting hard, like you said, you can just do a full body relax. You can take a deep breath, blow it out, do a body scan. And, you know, just relax, get back into your good form, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's the same thing. It's like you were saying before about the, you know, every once in a while doing this um, in your practice. Uh, same thing, right? You can do the same thing when while you're out running. It's not yeah. like you're going to go into a trance and run into a tree. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Same thing when you're driving, you switch off. Ten minutes later, you wonder, how, how is yeah. I actually driving this car? <laughs> is it dangerous? Yeah. But even on a trail riddled with roots, I'm in another world for 10 minutes. And you wonder, how did I get get along this rocky trail without turning yeah. an ankle? It's amazing. <laughs> so I haven't I haven't read your book. I apologize. So no problem. Uh, talk, me, talk me through it. What's your thesis? Yeah, my, my motivation behind the book was just to create a very easy to follow practical guide to meditation. So like I said, it's called Modern Meditations. 101 ways to slow down and connect to spirit. So it is 101 standalone meditation commentaries. And what I did was, what, what, what my motivation was, anyone should be able to just pick it up, go, okay, choose a chapter. There are 12 different chapters, chapters like abundance, transformation, healing, relaxation. Then pick a meditation in that chapter. And hopefully within 30 seconds, you should be able to enter a meditation experience just by following the words on the page. So that the idea was whatever your meditation background, whatever your experience in meditation, you should be able to pick up this book and just dive straight into an experience. Really to show that meditation needn't be as complicated as we think it is. That really can be just a loving conversation with yourself, which is what these commentaries are. So how long are these chapters? Yeah, each, the book is 300 pages. It's got 100 meditations. So each meditation is about two pages, fairly long. and. But, but of course, you don't need to finish the meditation. The, the idea with meditation commentaries just take sentence by sentence. Have an experience. Each sentence, there's an experience encased in that sentence. Then move right. on to the next one. Go on the journey. Yeah, but that's still not a lot. That's 1,500 words, right? Yeah, that's, yeah. That's five minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. Nothing. But I, I always like those kind of books for the morning, right, as part of my practice. So I'll try to do 10 minutes of reading but on those kind of books right something inspirational not mm-hmm. a business book or a or my uh, <laughs> something heavy <laughs> or my science fiction uh, addiction as part of a morning routine if you do your meditation and do your affirmations and do your you know it sets your mind up in such a way for the day that makes it makes the day a lot better right so that practice if you have the time and that inspirational reading goes right into that and mm-hmm. then after that right Exactly. It's, I think it's like what we spoke about earlier, setting up good habits, starting the day off well, at very least. Huh? 
And then the chances are, and, and the thing is when you do something productive, if you go for a run first thing in the morning, the rest of your day feels great because you've already done something productive. If you start yeah. feeling positive, having a little meditation, going into peace, well, your day started off well. The chances are you're going to be able to build on that. So, yeah, I think how we start our day is really important. Yeah. So you seem like a pretty uh, positive-centered guy, you know. This has probably been a lot of work for you, though, over the last X yeah. number of years. Oh, certainly meditation has helped with that. But I think I've always had a kind of excitement for life. And I think my excitement carries me into sort of your positive ad- adventures. I love adventures. That's why the Camino yeah. appealed so much to me. So I like combining adventure and reflection. That's why trail running. You know, I do almost all my running alone, just time alone. That's also a form of meditation. Yeah, adventures, challenges. These are things that make us grow. What have you learned over the over this journey? I think one thing, certainly a marathon running has taught me, is that we tend to overthink things and therefore overcomplicate things. And if we, we think of running, often we know, okay, we should go for a run. And yet, if we just have that moment's hesitation, let's say we get back from work, we're feeling tired, we can easily come up with a dozen plausible reasons why we sure. need to go for a run. We overthink it. And Really, the, the biggest challenge often in starting a task is overcoming inertia, getting that, that stationary object moving. And in the case of running, it's our body is the stationary object. Just get out the door, even if we don't feel like it. And as we know, the chances are we're going to enjoy the run. And even if we don't enjoy the run, when we come home, our body's going to be buzzing. We're going to feel mentally alert. We're going to feel like, wow, that's, we accomplished something great. So I think very important is... Sometimes just do things without thinking. And yeah, I think that, of course, what applies to running applies to everything else in life. I for, I, for example, I've been taking cold showers for 20 years, and I don't think about it. If every time I stepped, before I stepped into the shower, I thought, oh, maybe I'll have a warm shower today, that tomorrow is going to be more difficult. So I think just by sometimes just doing activities, we build those habits. It becomes easier the next time we do it. So like this, and of course, if you've got to do your file, your tax returns, we think too much about it. Just sit down and do it. It's probably not as bad a task as we anticipated being. So yeah, yeah sometimes yeah. some certain things we've got to reflect on. Other things don't reflect. Just do it. <laughs> Life becomes no, I, I, I dive into projects all the time without thinking <laughs> about it. Then, mm. then you end up with like a thousand things unfinished. So mm. uh, yeah. Mm. <laughs> you've got to be selective too. <laughs> so... So where can uh, people find uh, your work? Yeah, I'm not big on social media, but but my book is, uh, like it's called Modern Meditations. It's on all the usual book sites. Um, so that's that's where it can be found. Yeah, yeah. If you're interested in meditation, yeah, go on to Amazon. You can read the first 20 pages or so. Well, I'll get it on my Kindle. I can get okay. it immediately. Oh, nice, Chris. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, there you go. I'd love to hear feedback if you do. Give it a read. <laughs> I will, yeah. Like I said, it's right. not a normal book. It's a book that needs to be read slowly. Usually when we read books, I know you're an avid reader. So, yeah, you probably get through dozens of books. This is a little well, it's, bit it's, more of a slow but, read. But I understand exactly what you're saying because totally. there's different types of books, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm reading, my morning book is called The Untethered Soul, ah. which is really good. You should read it. It's a lot like The Power of Now. Mm-hmm. First, first few chapters are really good. But like you said, I, I read in the morning for 10 minutes and mm. think about it and then maybe write about it. Mm. I don't, you know, you don't, it's not a story that you're reading from beginning to end, right? Mm. Not like you'd read a, a science fiction book. Mm. 
but I save those for other times. Your, your zombie a couple of apocalypse stories, yeah. <laughs> no, I don't. Well, I have read some of those, but right now I'm reading. Uh, what am I reading? I'm reading Heinlein's Stranger in a Strange World because I had never read it. Book from 1961. Mm. It's a very famous book. All right. Well, yeah. You well, know I the word. You, you, yeah. you know the word uh, grok. No. Nope. Heard people say that grok. Nope. I I grok <laughs> that. <laughs> that's that's a uh, that's from that book. It means sort of to understand completely. Grok. Okay. Yeah. I'll try and use that in a sentence later today. But the uh, the guys <laughs> in Silicon Valley use that word a lot. Mm-hmm. Hasn't They're hit the nervous. shores of South Korea yet. That word. No. <laughs> <laughs> all right man i'll let you go yeah well chris no, anyway like i just want to say like unless you're a joe rogan you know making podcasts isn't a way to become rich and famous so i think it's admirable the amount of effort and energy you put into this the content on your podcast and you've been doing it for so long so really i i just think it's amazing every time i can see the preparation that goes into each of your podcasts the content the writing you do for them so i just think it's amazing so keep, yeah, keep, keep going, man. Keep, I, I love it. <laughs> good. I will. Like you said about, you know, the hardest part about running is starting, mm. right? So I need things to keep me writing and, and producing and that sort of thing, right? Mm. Keep mm. me doing or else I'd be sitting on the couch watching TV all day long as mm. well. So mm. it's a good vehicle to keep me honest. And we need to keep flexing those writing muscles if we want to be writers. Yeah. Yeah. I like writing these days. I'm having a lot of fun writing that mm. uh, apocalypse story. It's a lot of fun. So you know, I don't think you're going to be writing zombie stories if you're not having fun. Huh? It's, it's, it shows that you Indeed. love your writing. <laughs> All right. I'll let, okay, you go. I'll let you go to work. I'm going to eat dinner and go to bed. You're going to work. I'm not going to work. I'm going for a run in the mountains right now. I've got no classes. It's Friday. Yeah. It's, it's Friday. Yeah, I, I this semester no classes on Friday, so it's yep. Thursday for me. Friday. Okay. Friday. Yeah. No, no. I'm very fortunate to have Fridays off. So long run time for me right now. <laughs> Good. Well, enjoy yourself. Got to go and overcome inertia. Not going to think. Yeah. About it. Yeah. Climb some hills. <laughs> right. That's it. Chris, right, lovely right. talking. Thanks so much. Yeah. Yeah. Great to meet you. Great to talk to you. You too. Do the right. do the comrades one day. Huh. Hopefully we, I will. we meet with the I will. comrades. Oh, well, you're not yeah. there. I have to yeah. go down to Seoul. Okay. Oh, first, good. first talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Contact me if you come to Korea, please. <laughs> yeah, I will. All right. Cheers. Okay, Chris. Thanks a lot. See ya. Sometimes it takes a third party to tell us what we already know. Okay. Here's an old one. I, I dusted off because somebody commented on it. This is what happens when you have 20 years worth of blog posts out there. Someone will comment on it and I get an email and somebody will say, oh, this was very helpful. And I'm like, really? I wrote that eight years ago. So I changed it around a little bit, clean it up. And here it is for you again. Seven tips to help you succeed in life change initiatives. And you want to start with the end in mind. What are you trying to accomplish? What are you hoping to accomplish? When you sit down and think about things you want to change in your life, what are you really talking about here? What are you trying to do? Well, it's change. That's what you want. Hopefully it's positive change, a set of actions and or decisions that you intend to take to effect change in your life. Why do you want to change? Typically, it's because there's some aspect of your life that you're not happy with. Your health is not what you want it to be. Your career is stuck. Your relationships are less than fulfilling. 
Maybe there are some negative behaviors that you'd like to remove from your life. The bottom line is that there is some behavior that is either giving you pain or preventing you from gaining a better life situation. And the next question then becomes, why haven't you made these changes already? Well, there may be some fear or discomfort or effort associated with the new behavior that is a barrier for you to do it. And likewise, the behavior that you're trying to give up probably provides some sort of reward or pleasure that makes it hard to give up. So the bottom line here is that change is hard, and it requires taking on new things and giving up old things, and that is the context of this particular article or exercise here. So keeping this in mind, what are some of the ways to make these change efforts more effective? The first one is to choose wisely. There are an infinite number of improvement activities that you can choose from. I would suggest that most people make some basic mistakes when they try to change. And a common mistake is to make too many resolutions, have too many goals. And that causes the power of each individual change initiative to be diluted, and it causes you to be overwhelmed. So here's one suggestion. Choose one thing you'd like to change from each part of your life. So physical or health-related, work or career-related, family or relationship-related, spiritual or mental-related. Each one of those, choose one thing. And what you can do is you can brainstorm up a list of possible things, goals, initiatives, events, aspirations, and then boil it down to one from each category. Less is more. Even if it's only one truly transformational goal, that's great. So if you keep it simple, you set yourself up to succeed. And number two, be specific. One of the reasons change initiatives fail is that they are nonspecific. So lose weight is nonspecific. Lose 10 pounds by Halloween through exercise and diet by getting a coach to hold me accountable and following their advice. That's much more specific. The goal should have a quantity and a date and a series of tasks that will get you there. So in the example above, a quantity of 10 pounds, a date, Halloween, and the beginning of a how-to task list, find a coach, listen to them. If you are really interested in achieving that goal or change, you need to define what success means. I mean, how are you going to measure that? How specifically you need to think about how you're going to get there? And how do you know when you've been successful? So number three, make the goal bigger than the fear. So remember, there's a reason you haven't taken these actions yet. And it's because the reward of the change or the goal doesn't outweigh the fear of doing it or the pleasure of the negative behavior. And I'm not telling you anything you don't know already. But if you can't make that goal or change compelling enough to overcome inertia and fear, you might as well not do it. So how do you do this? Well, there's a lot of different tactics. There are entire books written on this. When you go through that exercise of choosing your one to four main goals, think about why that change is compelling, why that specific thing is, is compelling, right? Pain is a great motivator. If being fat is painful for you or not being able to climb the stairs without being out of breath is painful for you, use that pain. Don't avoid it. Write out all the pain that you will have if you don't change. 
Write out all the opportunities you'll miss out on if you don't make that change. And then read it as you try to get through the change process. You know, that's something you can think about. Here's why I'm doing this. And have it ready because you're going to have to pull it out at the Halloween party to choose between the candy and your fitness. Number four, lean into the pain. So if you want to find those things that will have the greatest impact in your life, follow the fear. What scares the heck out of you? Quitting your job and starting your own firm. Huh? Talking to your partner about the future. Or just being the person you see in those future dreams. Find that fear and then lean into it. Realizing that thing that scares you the most is a shortcut. You will learn more about yourself. You will have greater growth and greater transformation when you find that thing that scares you the most and embrace it. And yeah, I can hear the sweat beating up on your forehead and the clenching of your stomach. Change ain't for sissies. If you're serious about it, find that nugget that scares the pants off you and start there. You can save yourself decades of wasted time beating around the bush. Number five, get a coach. I don't care who you are, how smart you are, or how capable you are. If you could affect positive change in your life in a way that is satisfactory and sufficient, we wouldn't be having this conversation, would we? (laughs) Do yourself a favor, get a coach. Coaches are great at creating good plans and holding you to task. If you really want to succeed, invest in a coach. And I'm not just talking about a coach to help you with your fitness goals. You should look at each one of those categories of your life that we talked about and get a coach for it. Consider getting a coach for it. Not only will a coach help you attain that positive change, but they will help you figure out what that change should be and how to get there. Coaches aren't just going to tell you what to do. They're going to provide insights that enable you to do it yourself, to do yourself. And that's the real value of the coach is that they are a catalyst. What do all successful people have in common? Coaches. Number six, manage the trade-offs. So all projects succeed or fail on the strength of how you manage the small decisions and the trade-offs. It's not the big things that kill goals and changes. It's the piling up of little things. Each day as you strive to affect change in your life, you will be confronted by countless small moments of truth. And it's how you manage those moments of truth that will make you successful or not in the long run. And recognize these small moments and have strategies to make the right decisions and choose well when confronted by that little moment of truth or that trade-off. And finally, number seven, it's all about the journey, stupid. Many of us get into these silly scenarios because we think there is some future state that if we could only get to it, we'd be happy. And this, my friends, is known as the destination fallacy. There is no perfect state that you are going to achieve. Change is a matter of making progress, not not arriving. And one of the most dramatic changes you can make in your life is to choose to stop being so neurotic about improvement and find a way to be happy with what you have here and now. Celebrate the now. Celebrate the progress, the little victories. Enjoy the journey because we all end up in the same place eventually. So in summary, change is hard. But if you manage it with good strategies, it can be accomplished and it can be fulfilling. 
Okay, now we're going to move you towards the exit, please. Okay, my friends, we have meditated 101 times through the end of episode 4-465 of the Run Run Live podcast. Om. And I am still getting to the gym twice a week. I do arms and shoulders one day, and then I do chest, back, and abs the second. And I'm not going down to the pond. I stopped going down to the pond to swim. I decided I don't want to. It's fall. I'm not going to do it anymore. Even though I have the wetsuit, I'm not going to do it. And I may swim in the pool at the gym, but swimming is kind of high maintenance as an activity, especially in the wintertime. So instead, I've been run walking three miles three times a week. Yeah. And I'm still doing my biking on my old Fuji, but not this week because I'm, uh, I'm in my taper. Yeah, kind of for what it's worth. I've been throwing some yoga in at the end to loosen up a bit. So when I'm at the gym, after my weight sets, I roll out the mat. In this other room, this back room where they do the classes, it's usually empty. I usually have it all to myself so I can take my shoes off, get in my bare feet, kind of relax into a yoga session without bothering anyone. So this Friday night, I was just finishing up my yoga. I was in that place where you're laying on your back and sort of breathing and relaxing after the yoga. And the kid came in to turn off the lights. I always forget they close early on Fridays. If he hadn't seen me, I would have been locked in. So I had to hustle up out of my yoga and into my clothes and out the door. And I have mixed feelings, got to be honest with you, about the marathon on Monday. I have mixed emotions. I see the people checking in, taking pictures, picking up their stuff. They're at the finish line. They're at the start line. They're at the entering Hopkinton sign. And I remember that electric feeling of being there. You know, after four or five months of hard work, you're there. You're lean. You're nervous. You're ready to go. And I am so very far away from that fitness now. So like I said, I have, I have mixed feelings. I celebrate all you people who are there, but uh, I'm kind of sad for myself for not being there. So I do have another race on the calendar. The Mill Cities Relay is on for December 5th, and I'm putting in a team. Me and my old running buddies, we're putting in a team. And if I come out of the Boston Virtual Healthy, I'll see if I can't start slowly ramping it back up a little bit and train for something in the spring. And so that's it, my friend. Mixed feelings. Some NWA this fall racing season. Now uh, my challenge is to turn those mixed feelings around, maybe into a spark of hope and get back on the on the training train, right? See if we can't do that. First time I ran Chicago, by the way, was in 1998. I was hoping to go sub three hours there after coming off a 306 Boston. I did not come to pass because I got called away on a business trip that summer in the middle of my training to London, and that sort of sidelined everything. And I ran the race. I ran okay, crashed a little at the end, missed my qualifying time. And that was 23 years ago, my friends. How time flies. Let that be a lesson for all of us. Appreciate what you're doing today, because in the blink of an eye, it will be a memory. Take time to breathe in the gratitude. Take time to breathe out the love. And I'll see you out there. And then he thought 
that he just couldn't die. So Ned, he laughed so hard it made him cry. Wow, that's a weird sentence. I'm just going to skip that.